Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. A lot of people spend a lot of money on things like skincare, fast fashion, and even surgery, all in the name of self-improvement. But as the price of perfection rises, when is it time to call it quits? I'm Rima Hreis, host of This Is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace. This season, we dig deep into the financial trappings of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. Vanity Fair. Simon, what is President Biden's central problem as he heads into the 2024 election season? I see it more as a challenge than a problem, but it's I think that we underestimate sometimes how unsettled the world is. COVID, Ukraine war, war in the Middle East, you know, high inflation. It's been a bumpy time. And it's and it's so it's taken a lot to persuade the American people that we're getting to the other side. But I think he's got a strong case to make, and I think we're gonna have a good election next year. That's Simon Rosenberg, a Democratic strategist and 30-year veteran of politics and media. He founded the New Democrat Network, but last year he shut it down. He now is posting on Substack at Hopium Chronicles. And if you're wondering what Hopium is, well, we're going to get into that. I'm Brian Stelter, and this is Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. And today we're going inside the Democratic machine, President Biden's re-election campaign, his strengths, his weaknesses, and... As Simon just said, the challenge facing Biden and his allies. Simon, you have this fascinating history. Uh, People might remember in 2022, uh, you pushed back on this idea the Republicans were going to dominate the midterms. You were saying there's not going to be a red wave or a red tsunami. Um, As Ron Bronstein wrote for The Atlantic, you were the most visible public skeptic of the GOP surge scenario. And you were proven right. There was no red wave. So can we start there just to acknowledge your credentials here a little bit more before we get into 2024? (laughs) What were you seeing in 2022? Why were you such a skeptic of that red wave scenario? And and basically, what do you use? What data do you use to uh, to, to make your assessments? I think one of the things that we all have to sort of come to realize is that polling has just become less reliable. Uh, than it used to be. And we can get into why in the discussion, but we expanded the aperture a little bit to look at other data and said that, you know, if polling is sort of not as predictive, not as reliable as it used to be, what else can we use to, to assess where things are? And so we expanded the the understanding beyond polling to include things like our performance and special elections that were happening all across the country in 2022, voter registration trends, which were 
which were moving towards us all across the country. Fundraising, where we were outraising Republicans by four to five to one in many of the in the districts. And then the early vote, where we also saw Democratic intensity. And in all these other indicators, we saw heightened Democratic intensity, lower Republican performance again and again across the country in state after state in various ways of measuring what was happening in polling was a different election that we we were seeing in all this other data. Second thing that happened in 2022 is that there's been a huge growth of Republican polling. And so it used to be that, you know, polling was 10% Democrat, 10% Republican, 80% independent media polling. Now, you know, half, 60% of the polling that we see during, you know, during the week is coming from Republican sources. And in 2022, those polls exploded and they really pushed the polling averages down away from the Democrats in a way that turned out to be illegitimate. So, Okay, polling averages, yeah. explain that to us. You mean sites like yeah. Nate Silver's old site, 538. Like 538, yeah. I mean, what happened was that because there was this explosion of very Republican and very Republican-leaning polling at the end of the election, the perception was that the election was trending towards the Republicans, but that was artificially created. That was an artificial manipulation of the media, frankly, by a handful of Republican pollsters who wanted to create an impression that a red wave was coming when there wasn't. And so, you know, there were really two things that drove the the big miss that happened for most of the commentators in 2022. But what's most important for where we are today is this heightened Democratic performance that we saw, you know, in all those other measures that we saw and then in the election itself that happened in November has continued throughout 2023. And we've been winning elections of every kind all across the country this year um, and outperforming expectations in race after race after race. And so, you know, when you look back over the last year and a half, things were slightly Democratic in 2018, 2020, but the Dobbs decision in 2022 was really a before and after moment in our politics. And ever since, Democrats have been outperforming expectations and Republicans have been struggling in every kind of race all over the country. So this is one of the reasons why you are described as the, the most bullish commentator out there, at least when it comes to the Democratic Party, the, mo- the biggest bull, the, the most positive, the most optimistic <laughs> yeah, voice I'll out there. It. I'll take it. Do, 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 you, do you ever feel lonely? <laughs> no, because st- I stick to data. You know, I mean, like in our business, it's so uncertain. You know, things, opinions and Fox News and just the, the, the rough and tumble of the day to day. I've been doing this a long time, right? Over 30 years. And part of what I, I do is I, you know, those of us in the business who work on elections, you try to stay grounded in data, right? It keeps, it's the, it's the thing that keeps you from getting blown around. And the data was all pointing, were mostly pointing in the same direction in 2022. It's also still pointing in the same direction a year later, which is very much for the Democrats. And it's why, you know, as I look ahead to 2024, I'm very optimistic because our our overperformance is structural. It's independent of any particular candidate. And if the central f- driving force of our politics today is fear and opposition to MAGA, the Republicans are going to be running a candidate in 2024 who's sort of super MAGA, uber MAGA, you know, the MAGA on steroids. And, but you just said a key yeah. word. The key word is if. If that is what's going to right. define the election. If it's going right. to be and, about and opposition and look, to Trump. We, and so you know, Brian, right? you've been in this business. Anything is possible. Tomorrow is a new day every day, right? Like things can change. But we know that it's in all likelihood it's going to be Biden and Trump. 
It could be Biden and Trump as early as mid-January. I mean, the general election could begin in just a few weeks. And, you know, I'll take that. I'll take that, you know, election. I think we're going to win. And I think we could win by a substantial margin, actually, in 2024, regardless of what the polls say, because we've continually overperformed the 2020 benchmarks. If you use the 2020 election as a benchmark in the states that we've been participating in the last 18 months, you know, we're running five, six, seven points ahead of 2020. And we won the 2020 election by four and a half points, right? So I'm not saying that's where it's going to be 11 months from now. Things are going to change. Things always change in politics. But there is sort of a structural underpinning to the election right now that gives Democrats a lot of hope that, you know, we're going to have a good year next year. I mean, look, we have a lot of work to do, and it is going to be a brutal race against Trump, right? He is a master of dominating the information environment. And, but, you know, I would much rather be us than them as we head into 2024. You use the word hope, and your subject is titled Hopium Chronicles. (laughs) So for the politically uninitiated, for the normies out there, what the heck is hopium? (laughs) Hopium was a slur used against me in 2022 by several different uh, commentators saying that I was smoking hopium. Including Nate Silver, the aforementioned. Including Nate Silver and some others who I won't name. And I decided after the fact that I was not smoking hopium and I was right, that I embraced the concept. And the way that I use hopium in my community uh, and on Substack is that hopium is hope with a plan. We just don't hope that tomorrow is going to be better or we're going to win an election we develop a plan and we go to work. And what happened in 2022 is that I think one of the reasons we did so well is there are millions of Americans who've just decided they're not going to let their democracy slip away. And they're writing postcards and making phone calls and texting and knocking on doors and giving tons of money. And there is this sort of band of happy, you know, proud patriots who are fighting really hard in election after election. And what that's doing is that it's driving our performance up to the upper end of what's possible again and again and again, because we're building unprecedentedly large campaigns with all the money we're raising. Those campaigns are then, you know, building unprecedentedly large field operations, which are pushing our performance to the upper end of what's possible. And so to what extent are Biden campaign aides uh, or White House aides paying attention and reading and reacting to what you're saying? Do you have a sense of that? Can you share a little bit? Oh, I've been doing this for so long that I, many of the folks that are running the White House and running the DNC and the campaign are old and dear friends of mine. And we all talk. Right. And I think that um, I think that they share my fundamental optimism about 2024. I also think they recognize this is going to be a brutal campaign and we have a lot of work to do. And it's why, you know, just in the last few days, I've gotten a little bit of attention for a tweet I did where I said it's time to turn the campaign on Biden world. And What I mean by that is that, you know, we're not exactly where we want to be. Some of our coalition has wandered. It's not surprising. We're 11 months out and we don't have a primary. And so people are focused on other things. And the general election is going to begin in January, in my view. It's soon. It's not a spring thing. It's a now thing. And the campaign needs to turn on. And and what I mean by that is that it needs to not only deploy staff and all the states and all that, but it needs to start developing the tempo and rhythm of a presidential campaign, which is daily engagement with the opponent, daily engagement of putting out positive messages, not something that's episodic, happening three times a week. It's got to be seven days a week because Trump is going to require a level of, you know, his information dominance, his dominance of the information space 
is something that should worry us. We can't give him any ground. We've got to be fighting really hard. If you look at recent polling, his approval rating has kind of inched back up as people have kind of forgotten. You know, how they, they need to be reminded about him and what he's done. And, and because it's not front of mind to people, he's actually been kind of out of the limelight. So why exactly are we on the cusp of the general election already? I'm going to ask Simon right after this. Hi, I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired, and I'm co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab, along with Michael Calore. Each week on Gadget Lab, we tackle the biggest questions in the world of technology with reporters from inside the Wired newsroom. We cover everything from personal tech. Because asking people to put a computer on one of the most personal and sensitive parts of your body is just like, it's a big bet. Broader trends in Silicon Valley. There are just so many laid off workers out there that workers just don't have a lot of power. And the exciting and terrifying world of AI. It's inevitable that the internet is going to be filled with like AI generated nonsense. And so he just thinks he might as well make some money playing a small part in a thing that he sees as unstoppable. Wired's Gadget Lab is here to keep you informed and to keep it real. The entire point of the phone should be on some level to hate it. (laughs) (laughs) New episodes of Gadget Lab are available weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about Mint Mobile? Do you know what it's all about? Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those savings right on to you. I've been using Mint Mobile for weeks and I've been impressed both by the quality and by the price. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can choose from three, six, or 12-month plans and say goodbye to a monthly phone bill. So to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com hive. That's mintmobile.com slash H-I-V-E. Cut your monthly wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash hive. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down, so your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future, so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. And we're back here on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair, talking in mid-December about all things 2024, previewing the general election with Democratic strategist Simon Rosenberg. Simon, you said before the break, the general election, in your, in your mind, in your view, is starting in January. Why is that? What's going to happen January 15th with the Iowa caucuses? Well, Trump at this point looks like he's going to win by a huge margin. And 
that was the only state where Trump was really in trouble or could be defeated. And the way the Republican primary system works, it's winner take all, meaning that if you win by one vote, you get all the delegates. Trump is going to win Iowa. And at that point, because he's so far ahead in most of the rest of the next states, the race will be functionally over. I mean, and it becomes a question then at that point of how it ends and how quickly it ends. My prediction is he's going to assert on the night of January 15th that the that it's over, that he is the nominee, and he's going to demand that everybody endorse him and demand that the Republican Party you know, get behind it. Wait, that sounds like a sequel of election night 2020 coming out way <laughs> too prematurely in line yeah. with the American people. I, I Listen, this is Trump, right? We, we, we've seen this movie before, but he's, he's going to want to end the primary and he's going to put, there's going to be enormous pressure, you know, from uh, Trump world on the other candidates. And really at this point, there's only, I think there's only one serious alternative, Nikki Haley, who just got endorsed by, Governor Sununu in New That's Hampshire. That's so mean which, to Ron DeSantis. Don't forget about Chris Christie in New Hampshire, <laughs> Simon. Well, I'll see what happens. My assumption is that Trump starts turning his attention to Biden and starts going after Biden right after Iowa. I think they're just going to assume that they've won this thing and they're going to start, you know, turning on the general election narrative and storytelling rather than the primary. And so mm. we just have to be ready for that. I think this is a new development. I don't think that the Biden campaign was sleeping or not paying attention. I think that the reality that this thing really may be over, because we all, I think we all assumed that some of these other Republicans would do better than they did, right? And it just, it's just not happening. And so, you know, Trump's numbers are actually going up. Again, the, let me play devil's advocate. Yeah. If Trump only has 60, only 60% yeah. of the Republican base, so that that 40% has a right to be heard in New Hampshire and other states. Yeah, and, I guess and, you're going to say it doesn't matter. It's 60-40. It doesn't. I mean, and, and, it, and his numbers have actually gone up in the last few weeks, amazingly. I mean, he, in some of the tracking polls, he's now up in the high 60s. And, and just what it means, you know how Trump is, right? He's what Trump's going to do is he's going to I think he's already probably had this conversation with all of them, which is that, you know, if you don't endorse by X date, right, you are going to be in a different place with me. <laughs> and and so he's going to put a lot of pressure on them to endorse, you know, that week. And when they don't do it, there's going to be in the states where Trump is at 50-60% and places like South Carolina where Trump is beating Nikki Haley in her own home state, there's going to be incredible pressure from the political establishment. Okay, so that's the Trump side. Now what about the Biden side? Here's a headline from the New York Times just one week ago. Political memo, quote, should Biden really run again? It prolongs <laughs> an awkward conversation. So, so there is this ongoing uh, conversation. I think it's true. The Times is right. This is yeah. very much a live issue. People saying, is Biden really going to be the nominee? So how do you, how do you yeah. react to these headlines and these, these very real questions? Well, it's nice that people are speculating, but we know the answer to that. Joe Biden is run, running for re-election. He is the nominee. He Kamala Harris is going to be his vice presidential candidate. And, you know, there isn't any serious opposition to him in the primary. And so, you know, he's the candidate. And do you, you know, perceive that some Democrats are in denial about that? There's a, a chunk of our coalition, you know, 15 to 20 percent of our coalition that is wandering right now. And by the way, no one should be surprised by that. Right. We're not in a primary. There's no reason for them to be engaged in our politics right now. And so they're wandering. And some chunk of that is wandering because they don't want Joe Biden to run. 
right? And 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 do you mean wandering toward RFK Jr.? What do you no, mean? no, they're just wandering. They're just not with us. I think very few of them will end up with Trump. I don't think Trump really offers anything. The various third party efforts are something we have to manage. I mean, I don't I don't think any of them are any way possibly win the election. But yeah, we need to get these folks back into our coalition. And it's my view that once it's Trump and Biden, you know, let's say that's clear as day by March, a huge chunk of that coalition is going to come home. We know this from previous elections, but not all of it. But that's what a campaign's for, right? We've got time to go make our case. My fundamental view about the election, I have this sort of basic take about 2024, which is that Joe Biden has been a good president. The country is better off. The Democratic Party is strong in winning elections all over the country, and they have Trump. I think Joe Biden is going to have a much stronger case for re-election than is in the conventional wisdom and understanding right now, because I think he has been a good president. I've been doing this a long time. Things are good <laughs> right now in America. Well, got, no, you can't say that, Simon. I can. The vibes, the I don't vibes care about the vibes. We can talk about the vibes. I don't. I think I can show you a lot. Just listen. Let me do the exercise, right, with you. As we talked about 2022, you know, we looked at a bigger set of data to assess where things were. I can show you polling data that asks voters things like, how are you feeling about your life and your life satisfaction? It's up in the 70s and 80s. How are you feeling about your job, right? 60s and 70s approval rating. How are you feeling about your income? How much money you're making? 55% approval rating. If there was broad dissatisfaction uh, with Joe Biden and the Democrats and the economy, then why do we keep winning elections? I mean, something very unusual has happened in American politics, which is the party in power continues to win. The counter-cyclical you know, thing that happens where the party in power loses elections, special elections, off-year elections when they're in power, has not happened under Joe Biden. And the reason why is because people aren't upset. The status quo, they're okay. Because I think- uh, the basic, Or the alternative scares them. Yes, but but I think both of these have to be true, right? We're overperforming, right? It's not, it's, we are beating our numbers from 2020. And, and it's not just that they're sucking, it's that we're also doing well, right? And so I'm, I'm sanguine about this. I mean, as somebody who's been doing this a long time, I look at all this, I can see our path for victory. I don't know how they win. I mean, remember, in the last four presidential elections, Democrats have averaged 51% of the vote. That's the best showing we've had since FDR's four presidencies and four presidential elections. Republicans have averaged 46% of the vote in those four elections. The math is rough for them, and they can't afford to lose anybody. And the thing is, Trump is going to, you know, we saw the Never Trump or Never MAGAs playing a major role in 2020, 2022. And I think, you know, Liz Cheney is almost certainly going to endorse Joe Biden and create a permission structure that's going to be unprecedented in modern history of one party's leaders working against the party's nominee, giving permission structure of Republicans to abandon the Republican Party. And so I, I look at all this and I think that I just will tell you, having done this for a long time, the baggage that Trump has is unprecedented. There's never been a candidate like Trump. And I think right now in the conventional wisdom, we're sort of overly discounting what that baggage is going to mean in the election. For those of us who've been in elections and understand how ads work and how you can take information and bring it to voters, we have more reasons to disqualify him and knock him out of the game than any campaign has ever had in the modern history of American politics. You're saying it's going to be the most negative campaign in American history. No, I think that Joe Biden has made it clear 
that he's wants to that he's got a positive agenda for the country. I mean, frankly, he's being criticized a lot for not creating more of a contrast with Trump. But campaigns are about creating a choice and a contrast. That's what campaigns are. And I think that that's why I think the campaign has to turn on. Let Joe Biden be the president. Let him be the happy warrior, right? We need the campaign to start establishing this contrast. Look, if it's a referendum on Biden, we probably don't win. But I don't think it's going to be a referendum on Biden. I think it's going to be a referendum on Trump because Trump is a material threat to our democracy, to our way of life. That And people have been voting that way, right? This is not new information. I mean, people understand that something has gone wrong with the Republican Party. And they've been voting that way in 2018 and 2020 and 2022 and 2023. And now what we can say is, look, if you were scared of the Republican Party before, wait till you hear what this guy has done and what he wants to do. And so we have just pragmatically, just pragmatically, the material and the information we have that we can give to voters that we know they don't have and that's not top of mind is unlike anything I can't, no campaign has ever had the kind of things that we're going to be able to introduce into the public to disqualify him in 2024. It's just a pragmatic reality of the election. You mean words like insurrection and words like rape? Yeah. I mean, let's, can I just go through a few, right? The quick exercise is that the president was found guilty of attempting to rape a woman in a department store. He has overseen what may be one of the largest financial frauds in American history. He is singularly responsible for ending Roe and stripping the rights away of more than half the population. He may be responsible for the largest security breach in American history. We know that he led a party-wide effort to overturn an American election and end American democracy for all time and has promised that he'll finish the job if elected in 2024. I can go down and go down the long list. This is brutal stuff. The American people are not there on this stuff. And I think there's going to be a very much higher penalty. I think in the day-to-day scrum of the news, reporters have to report on what's in front of them today. Right. But in a campaign, we can take information and introduce it through ads and through the way campaigns work. And I will tell you what I just went through. I just don't think he can win the election with all that. I just don't think it. I, you know, look, here's what he, I think. He, he can, he's, he's defied history before. Right. But I don't, we also can't give him superpowers that he doesn't have. And the, right. the two things that have changed dramatically for the Republican Party since 2020 that is going to make it much harder for him is the ending of Roe and the, the attempt to overturn American democracy. Those things had not happened mm. in the last election. And people voted on those issues in 2022. It's one of the reasons we did so mm. well in the battleground states. So to give another data point that I, yeah. I think backs up your assessment, I look at television ratings all the time, and I, I don't see Donald Trump drawing big audiences the way he used to do. He used to be a reliable ratings draw. He used to double and triple the ratings of shows when he was on them. That doesn't happen anymore. He doesn't have people that are obsessively tuning in to in order to watch his performance. Maybe that'll change in 2024. But when you talk about Trump being weak, when, when you said, let's not give him superhero powers he doesn't have, yeah. that resonated with me because I see signs of weakness in those television ratings. If he was such a Superman, right? Why is a third or 40% of Republican voters not, not supporting him right now? And I think this strength that he has in the primary, I mean, he's in a very dangerous place for the Republican Party because he's too strong to be beaten in the primary. But he's also demonstrating an enormous amount of weakness. I mean, for 40% on some polls, 35% in other polls of Republicans at this point, to not be supporting him, it's 
a big problem. Mm. It's a big problem for him next year. When I hear you recite that list of, of future Democratic campaign ads, though, here's how I know it's received by Republican voters who support Trump. What they hear is, gosh, why do you hate the guy so much? They don't listen to the details of what you said. They don't yeah. think about the allegations. What they hear is, damn, y'all really hate him. He must be really powerful and strong. Yeah. Listen, we're not trying to reach um, more than 40% of the country is unavailable to us. And they're not part of what we're going to do next year. And we already know that there's been a splintering of the Republican Party. I mean, think about just watch MSNBC, like a quarter or a third of the people on MSNBC are former Republicans, right? It's kind of incre- <laughs> it's incredible. There's no equivalent. There's no equivalent there's no, to that on there's Fox. There's no equivalent. Yeah, no, there's no equivalent. But there's also no equivalent to it politically. I mean, the thing True. is, this idea of being a former Republican is actually kind of a, a big slice of the American electorate right now. And this is why, you know, he's got a problem, which is his ceiling is very low, which is why they need as many third-party candidates to run as possible, because he's only got 46 and 47% of the vote. Republicans have only broken 48% of the vote once since 1992, right? We've been the one getting into the 50s repeatedly. I mean, the country is clearly center-left now, whatever anybody thinks about, about that. I think that people underestimate how much the Republican Party has already splintered and how that splintering could continue and grow if Romney and, and Liz Cheney and Bill Kristol and the Bulwark and, you know, the Lincoln Project and all that, all that never Trumper world, which spent, you know, Bill Kristol spent $10 million on television in 2022 with ads of Republicans telling Republicans not to vote Republican, right? We've never seen anything like that before. And I will tell you that stuff really mattered on the ground in the States in 2022. We picked up a lot of Republican votes. And I think now if you were scared of Trump in 2020, scared of his candidates in 2022, he's an infinitely more scary figure now than he was in 2020. And so I do think that the likely scenario here, likely, not guaranteed, not predicting anything, is that Biden wins this election by six, seven, eight points. And you know, remember, Bill Clinton won in 1996, his re-election, won by eight points. And I, I think the election wants to go there, whether Joe Biden's going to be strong enough, good enough, run a good enough campaign to sort of seize the moment and get to where he wants to be. That's what we're going to find out next year. I'm going to keep trying to pop your hopium balloon here. <laughs> I have a couple other ways to do it. Do it. Fire away. <laughs> Quick break. Yeah. More with Simon in just a moment. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Empower. Can you retire early? 
Will there be enough money to leave an inheritance? Do you have savings for life's important milestones? If you have money questions, Empower has answers so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. And we're back here on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. I'm Brian Stelter, speaking with Simon Rosenberg. Simon, I was recently at a holiday party in my neighborhood, and and one of my Republican friends leaned over and said, so when's Michelle Obama going to take over? (laughs) And they were referring to that conspiracy theory, very popular in right-wing circles, that it's actually the Obamas that are in charge of Biden, and that at some point, Biden will step aside, and at the convention next summer, Michelle Obama will be appointed, uh, she will be anointed, right, as the nominee. And this person said it with a straight face, right? was was fully all in on this scenario. What does that tell you about the Republican Party? I mean, what does that tell you about the state of the country? I, I, I just wonder because I know and you know there is no secret smoke-filled room. There is no there is no secret plan. Maybe some Democrats wish there was a secret plan, but there's not. Uh, as you said, Biden's going to be the nominee. And yet there's some denial of that, not just among Democrats, but among Republicans. Listen, I think, Brian, you know better than anybody that our information space has been so heavily degraded, right? And that the amount of um, crazy stuff that's in the daily discourse in the United States today is alarming. And um, it's, you know, it is a scary manifestation of this new media age that we're living in and the loss of many of the sort of touchstones of, you know, of information uh, that we used to have. And the Republican Party has become, you know, deeply untethered uh, from truth <laughs> and facts. Right? I guess and it's wishful it, thinking, right? It, it's a yeah. it's a fantasy that they won't be up against Biden in the general election. It's a fantasy, but it's part of a bigger problem that we have. That one of our two political parties has gone a little crazy, and and it it's a serious matter. I mean, this is not, you know, this is a much bigger structural problem. That you know, if look, one of the reasons that I am so bullish or one of the reasons that I feel it's so important to be talking about us winning by a lot as opposed to just winning and stumbling across the finish line is that I think the only way that the dark grip of MAGA starts to get loosened over the Republican Party is if we win the next election by an overwhelming margin, that it's a clear repudiation of MAGA. Because the only way Republicans are really going to start moving away from MAGA is if they've concluded that it's a loser. And even though they lost in 2018 and they lost in 2020, the fact that they somehow, just by a few seats, won back the House in 2022, I think prevented there from being the kind of reckoning about MAGA's political problems that needed to happen, Mm. right? And so the only, to me, as a patriot, as somebody who loves my country, I want a traditional center-right political party again. I don't want MAGA party. I don't want this nationalistic pro-Putin party that we all witness. And I think the only way we get there is that we need to win this next election by six, eight, 10 points. And for this to be seen as a clear repudiation of this politics, I'd rather have the party of Lincoln and Reagan back rather than the party of Trump. And you say you can have that and that'll happen if it's a referendum on Trump. But what if it's a referendum on Biden? What if 
is all about Biden's age. How do you react to the age question? It 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 worries yeah. me enormously, actually. Yeah. And and listen, his age is an issue. And anyone who says it isn't is just full of it. And it should we should discuss it. And I think to be fair to Biden, for those of us who are formerly young, Brian, we know that with age also <laughs> not just comes losing a step or, you know, throwing an 85 mile an hour fastball, whatever you're analogy is, but also comes wisdom, experience, and capability. And I think Joe Biden's success, and I think he's been a successful president, and I know that's going to be litigated next year, um, is because of his age, not in spite of it. And I think that it could be that during a time of COVID, of insurrection, of Russia invading Ukraine, of war in the Middle East, of global inflation, uh, supply chain challenges, that having the most experienced person to ever be in the Oval Office there during this time of enormous tumult may have mm. been a blessing for the country and not a curse. And I think certainly that that's the case that we're going to have to make next year. Well, here's what a friend recently said to me describing, you know, kind of a, a fear of what is to come in the election in this litigation of Biden's record. Quote, it feels like most mainstream Democrats just want to pump Biden full of vitamins and hope for the best, (laughs) despite some terrifying headwinds and an opposition that's essentially saying dictatorship on day one, right? And I get, you know, dumping Biden, that's a a whole, there's a whole there, you know, layer of drama. But what about that fear that, you know, they're just gonna, they're just gonna hope Biden can hang on for another year, even though it is a terrifying alternative? It's, listen, there is... Enormous anxiety in the Democratic family, in part because we all are aware that if we lose this election, that our democracy could slip away, right? That it's not just a normal election. And I think the White House and the campaign should recognize that this anxiety exists, and that's why they need to turn the campaign on and give everybody something to do. I think that the longer they wait to start engaging the broad Democratic family and going out and fighting Trump— the more this anxiety is going to overwhelm people. And I think there's sort of a pragmatic set of mm. steps that the campaign has to take. Has to take, to but say, it comes from the polls, right? It comes from the polls that show him, uh, that show Biden losing to Trump yeah. in all sorts of different metrics. What, yeah. what are and these I, head-to-head polls about? How do you well, explain them? Yeah, and look, even today, right, NPR just released a poll that had Biden up a point and a very credible weekly tracking poll, the, the Economist YouGov poll had the race tied. And the polls that get the attention are the ones being done by CNN, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times. But, you know, we have lots of other very credible independent polling. The election changed when the ceasefire happened. I think what happened in November he in October is he dropped a little bit because of the war. And when the ceasefire happened, there is some evidence that he gained back two, three, four points in, in some polls, and particularly the polls that are using online samples and not using telephones. Um, they're much harder to reach young people, right? But you are seeing what is, and I'm actually Tom Bonnier and I, my old partner, and I have decided we're going to start engaging in this a little bit more about what's happening with polling. Because just this week, right, let's just take this week, is that the CNN had a poll showing Biden down 10 points in Michigan. And the next day, Reuters had a battleground state poll that showed Trump, that showed Biden winning by, by four points in the battleground. So those both can't be true, right? And the thing is, they're, the, 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 they're off by an enormous number. It's not a couple points. And so there needs to be that we began this reckoning around polling in 2022, but we need to continue. It is not finished. And we have a lot of work to do to have a conversation 
for how the media has to take greater responsibility for, in essence, polluting and poisoning the information environment uh, in ways that are consequential. I mean, not only do voters make decisions on these things, but foreign governments make decisions on polling. And, you know, the whole world looks at these polls and makes decisions about things, the Chinese government, the Russian government. And so this is not this is not just, oh, it's just a poll. A poll can determine the fate of this nation, and, and the media organizations need to take a greater responsibility for ensuring the highest quality things that they can put out. Do polls that show weakness on Biden's part actually help Biden? And does it help or hurt Biden? Does it raise the alarms, so to well, speak? Well, I, I think where the race is, I mean, my view about where the race is is that it's even now, and which freaks out some people, doesn't freak me out. How does Biden lose? Play it out for me. Um I think the obvious, the two, the obvious things are the wars abroad and the economy, right? I mean, if those, if there's a perception that our engagement abroad has been successful and the economy is doing well, Joe Biden will get reelected. If there are doubts about that, his reelection will be much harder. And, and I think that those are unknowns, right? Those are the big, the real big unknowns is Russia, Ukraine, Middle East, the economy, those are big wild cards heading into 2024. And if things are good and people feel good, we'll have a good election. If if not, it's going to be a much more competitive election. But I still think that no matter what, I would still bet on us rather than them. Hmm. Simon, thank you so much. Great talking with you. Thanks, Brian. And once again, you can check out Simon's Substack at The Hopium Chronicles. This episode of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair is produced by Michael May. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. Our engineer is Jake Loomis. Mixing is by Bob Mallory. And I'm Brian Stelter. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter and threads at Brian Stelter. Email me anytime, bstelter at gmail.com with your ideas and suggestions for guests for future shows. We'll be back next Thursday with more Inside the Hive. Three, two, one. Political Breakdown is a daily politics podcast from KQED in San Francisco that goes deep into the issues you care about. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Look, 2024 is going to get weird. Who decides when there's been an insurrection or not? We're still in the innovation phase of AI. And that is where you see that they're not actually being equitable and trying to build a utopia where we can all use drugs happily together. (laughs) But whatever happens this election year, the KQED politics team is in this with you. Political Breakdown. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. from PR.